Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, how interesting that you read those words in the scripture. And in this morning's Sunday paper, I'm uh, looking at the, the headline article about uh, the Olympic Games beginning Uh, It says, a rivalry begins between China and the U.S. Let me just read the very first paragraph. Long before the opening ceremonies, the 2008 Olympics delivered plenty of drama. Political conflict, international protest, environmental fears, and a calamitous earthquake battered China as it prepared to host its first Olympic Games. On Friday, the Games begin. If you read the paper, if you read news magazines, if you watch the news at night, it it cannot escape you that there are a lot of pretty dramatic things going on in our world today that seem to point to a future thing that is perhaps even more dramatic. And this is nothing new. I remember back in my high school science class, my science teacher teaching us that one day, and he said it'll probably be millions of years from now, but one day the sun is just going to expand and it's going to blow up and it's going to turn into a red giant and and the fire will engulf the whole solar system. Maybe some of you heard that from your science teacher way back when too, just like I did. If you watch the news, you're going to hear about global warming. You're going to hear about holes in the ozone layer. You're going you're to read stories in the newspaper about wars in Iraq and rumors of war in Afghanistan. And just when it begins to cool off in Iraq, it begins to heat up. In Afghanistan and so it begins to cause the question in all of our minds what is really going on and maybe even a question beyond that and that's the question is our world headed for a dramatic demise you know movie makers love to ask that question too don't they because if you think about that question is our world headed for a dramatic demise Even the article in the newspaper, I said it over here, talked about drama in all of these things with the Olympics. Movie makers love drama. And so if some of you have watched any 
movies over the last two or three years, you've, you've probably seen a number of them about a very dramatic demise of our world. This summer's blockbuster movie about the dramatic demise of the world is actually one that's purely frightening, one that I can't even say I would recommend that you would go see because it is truly, it truly deserves its R rating for the violence that's in there. M. Night Shyamalan, who is the writer of the movie The Happening, is known for tearing, telling parables through his movies. And there's a very interesting line at the end of this movie, The Happening. In the movie, what happens is um, there, there's some sort of plant toxin that begins to spontaneously develop that when spread to human beings causes their central nervous system to go crazy and all the things that would normally prevent us from harming ourselves are brought down. And people begin, and this is the part that is not so nice, due to these plant toxins, to commit suicide. And at the very end of the movie, they're analyzing what has happened because the movie is about one 24-hour period where this happens, and then all of a sudden, things get spontaneously cured again. And, and, and so they're analyzing this three months later on, and one scientist on TV is asked by the news commentator, do you think this was some sort of warning? And um, the initial incidence happens in the northeast United States. Only at that point has happened once. And so the scientist says, no, let's, let's not make more of this than what it is. It's just some sort of strange thing. If it were a warning from someone more powerful than us, surely it would have happened more than once. We would be warned more than once. And then M. Night Shyamalan, in his screenplay, makes the very next scene flash to Paris. Eiffel Tower in the background, and it all begins again. See, the reason I reference that question from the happening is because I, I think the scientist maybe had something. If God were truly trying to warn us that our world is headed for a dramatic demise, that heaven and earth will pass away, as Jesus has said, would he not repeat those warnings over and over again? For each new generation needs to hear those warnings, don't they? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we dig into Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, because that's exactly what Jesus promises us is going to happen, that over and over again, we're going to see some pretty dramatic signs of the end of the age. Take out your crosswalk notes or open up your Bibles again to Matthew 24, and let's start to dig into Jesus' words. The very first thing Jesus says is, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. If, if you have your Bibles with you, you can scan back up through Matthew chapter 24 and you can see all kinds of things that Jesus has talked about before he even makes that statement that he makes right there where he says, after the distress of those days. You see, Jesus was in his last week before his crucifixion. He's with the disciples. They come up to him 
and they're right next to the temple. The temple has these massive stones. It is the most permanent building that you could ever imagine, and also the most beautiful, gorgeous building that you could imagine, a, a tremendous, beautiful house of worship. And the, and the disciples say, isn't this amazing, Jesus, this building built to worship God? And Jesus says, you know what? Every one of those big, massive, beautiful stones that you see there is going to one day come tumbling down. And then he goes on to explain what's going to happen because the the disciples say, what? Well, tell us what it's going to be like then, Lord, in the last days. And then Jesus starts to delve into it. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many are going to come claiming I'm the Christ. He goes on to say in verse 6, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be nation rising against nation, famines and earthquakes in various places. You as believers will be persecuted and handed over, he says. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. There's going to be increase of wickedness, and the love of most will grow cold. And I could go on and, and extend the list because Jesus does as he goes right down through Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. And that's why, grab your pen. Grab your pen. Jesus uses this word immediately after the distress. Circle that word. The distress of those days. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. There are even going to be signs in our solar system, in our universe. The stars are going to fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is, in fact, giving us a warning here. And that's the very first point I want to make. Jesus warns us about the last days. And he tells us, first of all, that these last days are going to be stressful and dramatic. So, t- first of all, let's, let's look at dramatic. Notice what Jesus says in Luke 21. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, fearful events and great signs from heaven. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Take a look at that verse. See anything there that's not already happening? I actually um, watched a video that was put together. And in that video, it, it quotes some of these verses in it, and it shows jet fighters taking off into the sky. It shows video footage of 9-11. Picture in your mind the waves coming over the dikes in New Orleans. Picture in your mind the footage that we've seen from both Iraq and Afghanistan. Picture in your mind the the earthquakes like the one in China that we talked about. Every one of these things, every one of these dramatic things is happening right now and has been for generations. Why? to get our attention and to remind us that Jesus has promised to return and that heaven and earth will, in fact, pass away, but it will be replaced by a new heaven 
and a new earth. Why the drama? I'll bet you can tell me why the drama. When we get so wrapped up in our daily life, when we're just about making sure there's food on the table for one more day, paying the electricity bill, when it's so hot, man, that bill goes up higher and we've got to figure out a way to bridge that gap. When we're into conflict at work and maybe conflict at home, when stuff is going on right and left, how easy it is for us to forget that all of this that seems so tangible and so lasting will one day pass away. And so just like any good person who wants to warn, he creates a little bit of drama to get our attention. Notice that in Luke 21, 26, he goes and he says this, men will faint from terror, apprehensive, and take a look at that word, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So there's going to be drama, and there's going to be pressure and distress in these last days. And that's what Jesus tells us. We have to be ready for that. Now, now you might be asking yourself, is this the same Jesus that, that healed people? That, that fed people that were hungry? In, in some ways, this seems like a completely different guy. He's there saying there's going to be pressure. I mean, if he's God, why all this stuff going on like this? Is this really the same Jesus that we know and love? In fact, I've known a lot of people that when, we start to, when, when, when we've started to dig into some of these predictions, they're like, oh, man, do we have to talk about this? This is, this is hard, frightening stuff. We don't like to think about it. It would be much nicer just to put the blinders on than to, than to talk about drama and pressure. I mean, don't we have enough drama and pressure in our daily lives already than to have to sit here and hear Jesus say there's going to be even more drama and more pressure? But if any of you have ever been in a parent's position, in a coach's position, you know that the pain that the people that you're leading is going to be greater if all of this pressure and drama comes on them unexpected, right? A good coach, if he sees a tough opponent coming down the pike, he doesn't downplay them. A a, a good parent, if he sees danger in the street out in front of the house, doesn't downplay that danger. The coach or the parent is going to give a really strong, solid warning to make sure that Whoever they're trying to lead, child or, or player, is going to really get that warning. And in fact, when we know about the pressure and the distress, it's, it's easier for us to manage it. Jesus is just trying to get us to be honest with ourselves that in the last times, it's not going to be easy and we need to be ready for that to happen. So that's our first thing. Jesus warns us that in the last days of the planet, there is going to be drama and pressure. Let's go on. In the next verses, in, in the next verses he's talking to his disciples. Jesus says, At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. 
They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. I want you to, I want to take you back for a moment to the occasion when Jesus is saying these words. He's on a little hill, a little ridge to the east of Jerusalem, sitting down with his disciples. A ridge probably not much different than, than say, South Mountain is. They say that the Mount of Olives is about 200 feet high. And they're sitting there. They can, they can overlook the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is telling them, this is all going to go away, even that big, massive temple that you were rubbing your fingers along just a few minutes ago. In fact, this whole city and this whole world is going to disappear. The only thing that's going to be left is me, those in heaven with me, my words and my promises. And now he's told them there's going to be all this pressure and distress. But he comes along next with something that that is intended to encourage their hearts. To help them realize that no matter how stressful, how pressurized those last days are going to be, he is going to be in it in all his power. And I want you to put yourself in the place of those disciples. This is probably happening on Tuesday of what we call Holy Week, when Jesus is making these predictions about the end of the world. Two days previous has been what today we we recall as Palm Sunday, where Jesus has come into Jerusalem riding very humbly on the back of a donkey, being praised as king, but really not looking much like a king. And in a few days later, he's going to be treated as Nothing like a king. He's going to be crucified, beaten, mocked, bruised. You know the whole story for our sakes, for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. But he is not going to look much like a king there either. In fact, the soldiers who are detaining him are going to mock him for calling himself a king. You know how it all started back in Bethlehem. When Jesus came, not looking much like a king there either, born into a manger. And so what must have been going through the disciples' head as they're they're listening to Jesus? And now he says, I want to tell you something, guys. When I return next time, it's not going to look anything like this time. I came in humility. And my job was to redeem people, to call them back out of sin and death, to shed my blood. But once I'm resurrected and I go up to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, when I return this time, it will not be as a humble servant. It will be as the conquering king who is in control of the whole universe. I am going to come with power and great glory. Notice that he even says that. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. You can underline that with power and great glory. There's going to be a loud trumpet call. 
from his angels. And they're going to gather the elect, meaning the believers, from all the four winds, meaning the four corners of the world, from all around the globe, are going to be gathered together before Jesus as king from one end of the heavens to the other. Jesus is promising us something really great. That end, that end, at the end of all this stress and pressure of the last days, he is going to return and rule forever as the king of this new recreated universe, this new heavens and new earth that, that he will make. And the Apostle Paul tells us very much the same thing as he's writing to the Thessalonians. Take a look at that passage I put down at the bottom of the front page of your crosswalk notes. Will you read it with me? Read it along with me. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So in that little blank there, I want you to write power. When Jesus returns, he's going to come with power. But it's not just that he's going to come with power. Just as he came the first time with a very clearly designated purpose, and the reason he came in humility was so that he could die for us. True God, becoming true man. Now he, now he has a life to give up for us. He has blood to give up for us. Also in this second coming, he's coming for a purpose. A very clear purpose, but not to redeem any longer, but to gather those who have been redeemed through faith. Now look what it says in 1 Thessalonians as Paul goes on there. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now that's kind of an interesting prediction, isn't it? One day, you're just going about your business, and all of a sudden, Jesus, well, the Apostle Paul says, you're you're going to just be floating in the air, going up to meet Jesus. And you're going to be gathered together in front of him. That's going to be an amazing moment for those who are, who are left here on planet Earth when Jesus returns. And then he says this. This is the key phrase. And so we will be with the Lord forever. In heaven, enjoying all of God's blessings, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, encourage each other with these words. And that's exactly what Jesus means in verse 31 of chapter 24. He says he's going to send his angels with a loud trumpet call. They're going to gather the elect, all the believers from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So Jesus' purpose, that's the, that's the word that is in that second blank there. Jesus is is promising us that he will come with the purpose of gathering all believers together before him to enjoy his blessings forever in heaven. So we've got a warning from Jesus that the last days are going to be tough. And now we have a promise from Jesus that when he comes, it's going to be very powerfully and with a very honed-in, focused purpose to gather the elect from the four winds. That leaves us with one last thing that Jesus talks about. And in light of his warnings and his promises, he issues a challenge to all of us sitting here today, to his disciples 2,000 years ago, 
and to us sitting here today, he challenges us. Take a look at what he says in Matthew 24, 32 to 35. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree, Jesus goes on. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You know, Jesus loved to use examples from the countryside. Even when he talks about this gathering, he says, when I come again, it's going to be just like a shepherd coming back who gathers all his sheep to one side and and leads them into the pen. And he goes, I know, I know. There are also goats out there, stubborn goats who don't want to be gathered. And he says, those are going to be gathered to the other side where they will not enjoy my blessings for eternity. They will be an eternal death in hell. He uses lots of examples that come from just rural life. And here's another one. He says, take a look at the fig tree. By the way, the fig tree was a a tree that was one of the, the last trees to leaf out right before summer started in the ancient Middle East. So Jesus is saying, look at the tree that most closely tells you that summer is right here. And when you see the branches of that fig tree begin to bud and leaf out, and its branches become tender and send out new shoots, what do you know? You know that it's summer. It's right here, even at the door. And he's telling us what's so obvious. You you see these things happen? Do you see earthquakes and floods and wars? Do you see false prophets? Do you see all these things happening? What should you know? The time is near. It's right here at the door. And you need to live as if it's right here at the door. It's not just a matter of noticing Although that's the first step, it's a matter of associating, right? Have you taken a moment? Maybe it takes more than just one moment. Maybe it's a repeated process because that's usually what association is. To just start in your mind when you see these news reports to go, yep, that's exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in the last days and begin to associate all those things that you see, the wars, the earthquakes, the environmental disaster, everything that you see and go, hmm, that needs to ring a bell in my mind about what Jesus said. And then Jesus goes on and he challenges us even further. He says, as you come to understand that that day is near, Let my Holy Spirit dwell in your heart and begin to live more and more and more according to my will so that you are truly ready for that day. We read about that two weeks ago when the Apostle Paul was talking to the Thessalonians during the movie Iron Man. Do you recall that? He said, look, that day is near and you have to bring your life into line with God's word. Trust in God with all your heart and then Live as if God is in your heart, because he is. You know, 
This is so very, very practical. And I I don't know that sometimes we realize how practical it is. But I've been reminded by how practical this is by, um, by three things that have happened. One about a year and a half ago, one in May, and one just about a week ago. Jesus reminds us to look at these signs not only because there's going to be a massive once and for all last day for the entire planet, but also because each of us have a personal last day to look forward to, don't we? And we need to be ready for that personal last day too. Uh, A year and a half ago, my uh, daughter's volleyball coach at her college lost their son in a tragic car accident. Just out of the blue. Just this last week, I actually got an email from them. They're going to be coming and, and visiting us at Crosswalk in February, and she just wanted to give me a heads up that they'll, they'll be coming out. But I was reminded as I was writing this sermon, how do you prepare for having your son tragically die and be gone in a moment? Or if you're that son. You know, a very similar thing happened in May to Christian artist Stephen Curtis Chapman. Maybe you heard about that, how his little baby tragically was run over in the driveway. Can you imagine that? And then someone sent me an email story just this last week about another pastor in Southern California. His son was driving down a California freeway. And for some reason, didn't notice the, um, the maintenance trucks that were in front of him and just plowed right into the back. This was, a, this was a young man that was helping his dad in the ministry. Now, what do you think that dad's comfort is in a moment like that? Well, I, I actually uh, pulled down some words from that dad because I, I think... They sort of challenge all of us to remember why it's important for us to pay attention to the last days. This pastor writes, Thursday, July 24th, 2008 was the most devastating day of my life. Now this is, what, a week ago? The unimaginable happened. We never think about our children leaving this earth before us, but it happened when my son Christopher was suddenly called to heaven. At first, I couldn't comprehend the news. It was like the worst dream I'd ever had, and I wanted to wake up from it, but I couldn't. Friends and family were immediately at our side, loving us, hugging us, holding us. But in the end, there are no answers for a situation like the loss of a son. In accepting God's will, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In acceptance, there is peace, but not always answers, this pastor writes. God grants us a peace that passes understanding, but not one necessarily that gives us understanding. There is no why in the midst of our pain, just what and who. I loved my son with all of my heart. 
But I have to say he gave us some hard moments. He would be the first to admit that he had been a prodigal at a point in his life, but his mother and I always loved him and prayed for him. He knew that, and we know he loved us. Now, listen to what he says right here, because here's where I think we all end up in a situation like this. The last years of my son's life were glorious. Why? The Lord had led him, he writes, to be completely committed, recommitted apparently to him. And he wanted to serve God with his talent, and he did. Isn't that why we need to know about the last days so that we're prepared the way that pastor's son was prepared, that the Holy Spirit has drawn us the Holy Spirit has empowered and enlightened us to be committed to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Isn't that really our one and only true comfort in tragic circumstances when, when someone that we love, their last day arrives or our last day arrives? He goes on to tell an amazing story, and I'm just going to wrap up with this story. He says, when his son Christopher was very young, they went to a toy store. He was going to buy him a toy. Didn't have very much money, and so they were in the Star Wars section. And uh, they were looking at all the Star Wars figurines. And uh, his son was down there on the lower shelves. Little boy, that's really all that he could see were the lower shelves. And he looked through all the figurines very carefully. And finally, really, really carefully, he picked out the Han Solo figurine and said, Dad, can I have this? Meanwhile, the dad's eyes, he's taller, right, are focused on the upper shelves. And there in the section with all the Star Wars stuff is a huge Millennium Falcon. And he looks down at his boy and he says, You bet, Christopher, you take that. And then he reaches up, and he pulls down the big box with the Millennium Falcon in it. And he says, and let's take this too. Now, he does share, because he's an honest guy, that when they got home, his wife just rolled her eyes because they couldn't afford the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> but yet she knew. She knew why he had to get it, didn't she? Because she's a mom. She understands. And when they're in there in the room. Now, you know what that started? He said it started a custom with his son, Christopher. That after that, whenever they went to the store, the little boy, when, when his dad would say, what would you like me to get for you today? You know what the little boy would answer? Smart little boy. He'd say, you choose, dad. <laughs> and that's what the pastor wrote to, to, to wrap up his email talking about his son's death. That when we hear the stuff, the warnings about the distress and the pressure of the last days, and when we hear God's promise that Jesus, his son, is going to return powerfully and with great purpose to gather in the elect, that, that he's also telling us that he's going to choose the very best thing for us. Because he's a loving and gracious heavenly father. And he, he's not doing 
any of this because he wants to see us suffer. He's doing it all because he wants to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. And so if you're, if you're a little bit frightened today by hearing these things about the last days, or, or if you feel challenged and provoked by, by what we've been talking about here, just remember what that little boy learned. You choose, Dad. You choose, Heavenly Father, because I know that you are going to choose the absolute best time to send your son back. You're going to choose the absolute right thing to do to help me when times are stressful. Take a look at how Jesus puts this. Mark 13, 35 to 37, I, I put it in your crosswalk notes. He says, therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. Let him find you saying, Father, you choose. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So in that blank, I want you to put the words, pay attention as we wait for this day. That's Jesus' challenge to you and me, that we should pay attention and then Matthew 24, 44 says, beyond paying attention, Jesus says, so you, almost, so, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Be ready. And there is no better way to be ready than through Jesus to put your hand in the hand of your heavenly Father, and just say, Lord, whenever it's my last day, my personal last day, or the last day of this world, you choose. I trust you to love me best. Take out your, um, your crosswalk uh, notes, and inside you're going to find um, your, uh, your next steps. And I've got to find mine. Here we go. Take out this connection card. Here's your next steps just to make this really come home for this week. And on the back of your connection card, it says, are you ready to, are, are you ready to uh, prepare yourself mentally for Jesus' return? If you would commit to be ready mentally for Jesus' return, then see the signs and daily associate what you see in the news with Jesus' return. Secondly, lean on Jesus for strength during the last days. Pray and ask God for strength to endure through your apprehension. And finally, meditate on and memorize Matthew 24, and that should say 34, not 44. And, and uh, this is what it says. And it should say 34 and 35. I don't know how we got that uh, typo, but we did. Here's what it is. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have given us these warnings, these promises, and these challenges that you put before us this morning. Help us understand that you will send your son Jesus to return one day in all power and glory. And help us to be ready for that day through faith in Jesus. Help every person in this room by the power of your spirit to know Jesus. Help them to be enlightened in their hearts to accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. 
Lord, we need a Savior. We are sinful. And yet how great, how grateful we are to know that all those sins have been forgiven because of your grace and love for us. And it's in that spirit, Lord, that we just look to you to keep us ready and prepared for that great last day. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.